0: The Guardian.
1: Don't you Brits feel like celebrating those 14 days of sporting glory? Of course you do. So why not do it with a strictly unofficial but suitably stylish philosophy football design t-shirt? This unique t-shirt is a wearable, chronological, and color-coded record of an unforgettable fortnight. And for Guardian and Observer podcast fans, we have a special offer of three pounds off and free post and packaging. Curious? Well, to see how good this unique T-shirt looks and to take advantage of our listeners' offer, just go to guardian.co.uk slash podcast offers. I dare you. It's Wireless Week on
2: Media Talk as we discover how talk sport is going global and ask what the Olympics' legacy will mean for its sporting rival Radio 5 Live.
3: I get a sense that perhaps print journalism will come with us on it this time. I kind of feel that, you know, we won't be on our own if we're doing sort of Taekwondo World Championships next year. There will be that demand and desire, I think, that, that we haven't seen before.
2: Plus, Mark Thompson is off to New York, and the dandy goes online only. We run the rule over the latest magazine sales figures and.
0: I could not stop crying. Like, it just wouldn't yeah, stop. I was so upset. I hate losing. We feel like the five luckiest guys on the planet right now. The X-Factor's back. Is it
2: Series 9 already? This is Media Talk from The Guardian. Joining me this week are media consultant Paul Robinson and Media Guardian's Josh Halliday. Welcome both. We start this week with Mark Thompson, the outgoing BBC Director-General who's been appointed the new President and Chief Executive of the New York Times. Uh, it wasn't unexpected. The Guardian revealed in June that he was in talks to fill the vacancy left by Janet Robinson, who left in last December. But it's a notable appointment in a number of ways, not least that he's a former DG who's gone on to land another big
4: job in the media, which doesn't happen very often. It doesn't. We have to remember, of course, that Mark Thompson was relatively young when he became DG. So, of course, still at mid-50s, he's still got another big job in him, whereas other DGs you know, were considerably older when they when walked away. But it is, it is quite a big uh, story, I think, in the sense that Mark Thompson is clearly someone who has, done a huge job at the BBC in implementing the strategy to make the BBC go digital but he's not a commercial executive and this is clearly a very commercial job um, I imagine that they were very excited by what he could talk about in terms of creating digital journalism and, and using video to illustrate journalism. I'm sure that must have really got them excited. I think the big the big uh, trick is going to be whether Thompson can really pull this off because obviously he was head of the BBC and the BBC has done you know some pretty incredible things in the last eight years but how much was actually down to him and how much was down to the team around him. And he's, of course, he's a journalist at heart.
2: He started off on Panorama and the, uh, edited the, um, the 9 o'clock news. And so he has a very much a pedigree in journalism. So it's not perhaps as, uh, as unexpected as some people might see it on, on the surface.
4: Sure. I mean, he was head of factual programs when I was at the BBC. And then he was a rising star under John Burt, who was the, you know, the DG. I mean, I think we shouldn't forget that the digital vision was actually John Burt. What Thompson's done a really good job was implementing it. You know, he's done a, a fantastic job. You know, in terms of cost cutting and managing a commercial business and bringing in revenue, that clearly is a weakness. But, you know, he's also good at managing a large complex organisation and dealing with politics and dealing with lots of multi-faceted individuals and lots of stakeholders so that will serve him well too. And Josh, the the Olympics wasn't a bad way for Thompson to go out, certainly
0: better than the uh, Diamond Jubilee for instance. He's gone out with a bang, that's right, if he'd have left three months ago it would have been a bit of a sour note to end on. Now the BBC is at its toughest, it's most confident, it's most strident for the past 12 months at least. It's perfect notes for Thompson to leave on and in George Entwistle he's got what seems to be the perfect successor who's had a, uh, a great run of uh, control and uh, of BBC Vision.
2: What do you think Thompson's legacy is going to be? We've still got a fair few weeks to go before he leaves, so plenty of time for farewells, but uh, he leaves it in pretty good shape.
4: Yeah, I think, um, as you're saying, I think he's left the BBC confident. I mean, it wasn't confident when he came in. It was actually in crisis, an organisation whose whole future was being questioned and which had an internal and external lack of confidence. It now has got a confidence. I think the staff still need to be given more motivation and to feel more part of it. I think there's an empowerment job to do. But Thompson leaves a very strong digital BBC that's reinvented itself, that's actually so strong in so many markets and obviously the markets are complaining about unfair competition and misuse of of license fee so strong healthy bbc digital future success guaranteed license fee um not really being questioned as a funding mechanism either.
2: And it's also been reported in his new role that he'll be earning $5 million a year, Paul. So it turns out when he said executives at the BBC work at a discount to the private sector,
4: he, he wasn't kidding. He certainly wasn't, if the $5 million is correct. I mean, it may not be $5 million in cash. There may also be pension and stock and other things there. But actually, yes, you're right. I mean, he's now proved, in fact, as an executive, he was absolutely capable of earning the salary he was getting the BBC. It still doesn't take away the argument that the BBC was paying a very large salary for a director general with public money. But clearly, in terms of the market, he was earning his fair
2: Well, if it's goodbye to Mark Thompson, well, in a bit, he actually goes next month, then it's also farewell to the Dandy, the UK's oldest comic which will cease publication at the end of the year and will go online only. The DC Thompson comic launched in 1937 with a free whistle and a front page strip featuring Corky the cat nicking a fish. Well, some things never change. But some things do change. At the last count, the dandy had sales of fewer than 7500 a week and cost £1.99. I think when I used to read Buster in the mid-80s, uh, possibly late 70s, it was rather cheaper than that. Josh, a, a sad day for comic fans everywhere.
0: It really is, it really is. Uh, I'm sure there'll be outpourings of grief on Facebook and uh, social media uh, and elsewhere, and that kind of sums up what's happened to Dandy in the past 10 years is that it's been completely overtaken by the technology revolution and a boom in kids' TV and magazines which have been linked to these programmes and CBeebies now really does dominate the newsstand for uh, kids' magazines. If you go into any newsagent across the country, you'll see magazines for Pepper Pig, In the Night Garden, and those are the most popular ones, and we're getting new players now launched on the back of social networks for preteens. The most popular launch last year was Moshi Monsters magazine which managed to double its circulation to around 200,000 copies a month in the latest circulation figures re- revealed this week. Uh, and that really proves that it's not enough anymore to just be a magazine. You have to have a brand backing either on TV or online, even on a social network. Paul, as
2: Josh has suggested, there the death of the dandy uh, it will be online, of course, but it reflects trends among
4: younger consumers across the entire media spectrum. It does. I think he's totally right about technology. I think also there's an issue about the editorial content in the sense, you know, you look at these images now of cow pies and Desperate Dan, Dennis the Menace, and they just look like from a different generation. You know, what they've also failed to do, as well as keeping up with technology, is failed to reinvent or create new characters that actually chime with modern kids. It's interesting, DC Thompson as a publisher are trying to get to grips with this whole thing, and we talked about this a bit at the Children's Media Conference in Sheffield earlier on this year. Their big success story is the one you just mentioned which is Horrid Henry which is actually does tremendously well for them in terms of not only publishing but also electronic publishing although there's no downloads yet DC Thompson has virtually no digital business at this point although they're thinking about it but Horrid Henry does really well because it's on CITV every single day and kids know it and that builds the brand and in fact now what's happening is TV while still being very important as a brand builder as uh, Josh says games and other media are also driving brands Moshi Monsters being the best example Moshi Monsters is the largest single licensed property in the UK uh, in revenue terms and has never been on television up to this point. Moshi Monsters I think is it 60 million is that the latest number of users uh,
2: on, 65
0: on... million in fact yeah around the world and around 30 million in the UK which is a huge swathe of the of the children's population and at £2.99 as well Paul these magazines aren't cheap are they
4: no they're not cheap but you, if you get a brand that kids really love they'll pay almost anything I mean the challenge for DC Thompson now is you know they've got to figure out what their digital business is you know a bit like uh, Thompson now going to the New York Times they clearly think he's the guy to do it for them someone's got to do it for DC Thompson because they haven't really really yet got into digital at all and they need to otherwise they're going to suffer and this is clearly you know one of those symptoms of that. Paul what was your comic of choice as a younger man? God, you know, I, I really don't remember. I honestly, I can't remember reading a comic. Was that actually. long ago? Surely, Come no. On. It was a long time ago. I cannot remember reading a comic. I used to read the newspapers. I'm very dull, really, but I cannot remember having a comic.
2: Oh man, man ahead of your time! What a big brain, uh, Josh. Were you onto Wall Street Journal age four, or did you have a? Uh, was there a favorite comic strip?
0: <laughs> I was a Guardian reader age three. No, I was. Uh, I always bought Match every single week religiously. Match.
2: Mm. Well, I was a Buster man, so I'm sad no uh,
0: were. Match is still going as well, actually. Oh,
2: well, I don't, I don't think Buster is, but uh, no, I produce no, Producer match. It shakes says his head everything, seven. it says everything, John Buster. Oh. <laughs> Gums was very good, like Jaws, but didn't have any teeth. And Bruce Forsythe was a child that uh, kept foreseeing disasters, but weren't quite the disaster he imagined. So, great stuff. Uh, and before I head to eBay to buy some uh, more back issues of my favourite mag, it's time to talk radio. The start of the Premier League football season is always a big weekend for talk sport, but this time it's even bigger. For the first time, the UTV-owned station has live international rights to the Premier League outside of Europe and will broadcast live match commentary around the world in English, Spanish and Mandarin of all 380 Premier League matches. But no, uh, Alan Brazil or Andy Gray won't be doing any of them. Plus, it will broadcast live FA Cup matches for the first time, sharing the rights with five live I met up with TalkSport's program director Moz D and started by asking
5: him, What's the rationale for TalkSport looking overseas at this point? In looking to create sort of better value and, and more opportunity for shareholders, more opportunity for advertisers, um, what do you do? Do you go into a scenario where you're in acquisition mode and you're buying other platforms to attach to a business in order to find that expansion of value? Or do you look maybe a little bit more internally and, and, and look at what you're already doing? and looking at why it's successful. One of the reasons has been th- the whole identity of talk sport, but one has been also the acquisition of, of rights and the potency of the uh, Barclays Premier League. And in conversations with them and doing our diligence, it became very clear that there was a market um, across the world for, for that type of product. This is something that, that potentially could be huge. The sorts of numbers that we're talking about in terms of, of Premier League fans across the planet is extraordinary. Well, and yes, th- they're always going to enjoy. They're always going to enjoy television coverage, but as you know, you and I have talked about oft, you know, radio always has its place. Um, audio always has its place in in people's working lives, in in their environment. So you know, we're hugely excited about it.
2: Well, give us a sense of those numbers when the new season kicks off at the weekend. How many people?
5: What's the potential audience? What's the reach? And the next question is, how many people do you actually expect to tune in? What are your forecasts? It'll be in the millions. And again, you know, it's an adventure because it's not been done before, certainly not in this way. So you know, come back in a month's time and we'll sit down and have that conversation. We know what the potential is. I'm going to be meeting a delegation from Nigeria a little later on, which we've signed up for a syndication deal. 156 million people living in Nigeria, the majority of them English-speaking. And the majority of them are Premier League fans, the sports fans that live within within that country. And so we're hugely excited about the potential of that part of Africa. But the numbers are quite extraordinary. Certainly for us here at TalkSport Towers, producing 1,140 commentaries makes us probably in the UK one of the biggest, if not the biggest, Premier League broadcaster there is. Because, of course, we're going to do them all, every single one, in Spanish, Mandarin and English, which is why I'm looking so jaded. At its height, say there are 10 matches kicking off, which doesn't happen very often, if
2: at all, but let's use that as an example. You'll be doing 10 matches in, in three languages. So it's 30 commentary feeds, all coming from the basement of the, your offices on the, on the South Bank.
5: Yeah, I don't you to destroy the artifice that is radio, but yes, we have an international broadcast centre, is why I choose to call it, John. That's a lot, that's a lot <laughs> sexier. <laughs> and it's downstairs here at TalkSport, and actually you've seen it. It isn't a basic bit of kit. It's a very complex piece of work. Our engineers have done an extraordinary job we have a satellite receiver on top of our, our building receiving encrypted pictures direct from the Premier League with the ambience coming from every single ground uh, which enables us to provide commentary on every single Premier League match as you say in, in those particular languages and in others should it be necessary. And what does this do for the UTV bottom line? How much are you investing in this and when do you expect to see a return? Well, you know, it's, it's an investment I think If we look at the investments that we've made thus far in things like the Premier League, in sports rights per se, it's worked and we've always had a return and it's always built on the audience. And one would hope that this particular scenario follows suit and that we're able to build those audiences and we're able to find the revenues off the back of them.
2: And how do you characterise your the, the latest state of rivalry between yourselves and Five Live? Where's your sort of respective positions in the, in the league table? What kind of inroads have you made or uh, have they briefly disappeared over the horizon with the, with the Olympics over the last couple of weeks?
5: I think that across the last couple of years, uh, there's been lots of healthy debate and healthy discussion about the state of uh, commercial radio, the challenges it faces versus the state of the BBC and quite frankly the challenges they face. Um, and I think that those conversations, with the help of the BBC Trust, have, have been fruitful and helpful. Um, and I, I think we're in, a, we're in a good place now. We know what our job is. Um, we know what we're about. Five Live have a clearer understanding of that. I mean, they're grapply, still grappling with the problems that are Salford and Manchester and, and redefining Five Live's role in a new base, in a new HQ with personnel. Uh, that'll pass. You know, they'll, they'll work through that. If you're a commercial operator up against a publicly funded body, it will always be a point of conversation. It will always be a debate. It will always be a discussion because it is about commercial survival. And I think the BBC and um, former colleagues at Five Life are big enough and wise enough to understand that and not take it too personally. Paul, you're a
2: former talk talk man back in the days when it was still talk radio. The, the station's been one of the real commercial success stories over the last couple of years, steadily transforming itself.
4: And this, this deal for um, International Live Premier League sort of takes it one step further. Yeah, UTV has done a very good job, and Talksport continues to grow, which is great to see. And, and Moz has got a lot of very great ideas, and this is another one. I think there's a couple of challenges. The first one is that he's absolutely right that English Premier League is a major driver outside uh, the UK, particularly in markets where you know the Empire used to exist, in, in, in markets where we had colonies, you know, places like Singapore, uh, Malaysia, parts of sub-Saharan Africa, Kenya, uh, Nigeria. Premier League is very important, and in fact, pay TV operators have paid lots and lots of money. To to get exclusive EPL rights to try and beat other pay operators. So there's no reason why uh, it's uh, you, could, you wouldn't believe that a radio operation could work. The challenge is, I think, running an international business is a different skill to running a domestic one. So Moses is going to be very careful not to take energy away from focusing on talk sport in the UK. That's the first challenge. Um, the second challenge is how you actually monetize this. Because... A, there are issues about getting money out of some of these countries. You know, Nigeria is a, is a burgeoning economy. And in fact, I'm going there in November for, for Nollywood, actually, to do a speech. So I'll, I'll try and listen to the commentaries then and see what they sound like. But getting money out of Nigeria is not necessarily that straightforward. You know, it's not a country that works in business terms the way we do at the moment. There are still big issues in Nigeria in terms of corruption, money laundering, you know, people paying on time, just bad debts. So they've got to monetize this. So the big risk, I think, for talk sport is they spend a lot of time working on this and they don't make a return on it well that
2: was talk sport but what kind of podcast would it be if we didn't find the other side of the story answer not much of a podcast at all so i dialed up salford and spoke to deputy controller of five live jonathan wall and asked him how was the olympics for him
3: I think what was interesting was the momentum of public reaction to coverage of certain sports that we've never done before. Gymnastics on the radio, dressage on the radio, things that aren't supposed to work. But because of brilliant commentary and great public reaction, it was. I mean, that will be my abiding memory, really, in terms of some, some surprising moments from it like that, really.
2: Certain sports, as you say, tougher to do on radio than they are on TV. Even, even the hundred meters, for instance, is a is a hell of a hell of a challenge. It, it is, and, um,
3: um, but Mike Costello, I think, is one of the best in the business or athletics commentator at trying to paint the picture of a you know nine point eight second race or whatever it was. You know, I do think we were spoilt by the world class kind of sports commentary it reminded me how good you know jonathan Overend sits there and does tennis most of the year and and yet can be amazing on taekwondo and delivering that to the audience so i think you know that it's reminded me what we might be capable of in those areas you know it gives us great confidence i think to know you know it doesn't just have to be around doing great stuff on tennis and golf and formula one and football and rugby etc but it does open up the door a little bit i think to how good we can be on other sports
2: TalkSport has suggested you should do more non-mainstream sports, which I guess is fairly predictable, but the BBC yep. Trust has also backed that up. What are your plans for, for you know, sporting coverage outside, I guess you might say, the Big Five or the Big Six? Sure.
3: I mean, like, to be fair, even outside the Olympics over the last six months, we've done 20 different sports on Five Live and Five Live Sports Extra, so I don't think there's any kind of radical sort of step change that we need to do because i think we're already doing a lot i do think this is an opportunity because of the public reaction and because of that confidence that i talked about in our coverage of certain sports this is a moment i think for us to to look again at what we can do i think you know we're looking certainly at following up some of those stories of of the olympians over the next few months within five life sport looking again perhaps at what we might do on certain sports you know cycling had a massive response i think in particular during the olympics it felt a really huge moment for the sport so i do think it's a good time for us to look at how we can progress even further what we've already tried to do
2: and when you say 20 sports, is that sort of discussion of those sports in a, in a, a wider sports program? Does that include news items? How sort of broader a, a definition is that when you when you sort of come up with a figure well, like
3: that? Well, we, we've covered more than 20 sports, even outside the Olympics, actual live commentary of it on either Five Live or Sports Extra. But I think one of our challenges, I guess, which we've, we've shown how we can do it on the Olympics, it's about stories, isn't it? So if you've got the judo girl who wants to win a medal for her mum who, who she lost a few years ago, the powerful story of that was also what made it. So I think the storytelling is something that we just need to think about how we can drive that forward. Then it can absolutely feature across the day in news programming. You know, our next challenge, and I hope we'll do it really well because we've been planning it for two years, will be the Paralympics, which absolutely is about world-class sport and world-class storytelling. So I think, I'm hoping we'll show yet again that it's not just about the Olympics, but that we can show exactly what we can do on the Paralympics. That's That's certainly our next aim.
2: And budgets aren't getting any bigger of course they're going in, in the other direction but would, would it be feasible to, to look at a sport like handball or, or volleyball or I mean presumably if you wanted to you could pick up the radio rights to those sort of things fairly cheaply
3: Yeah, it's not really about rights fees to be honest because as you say outside of perhaps big stuff like, like Ashes Series and Football Premier League it's not you know, it's no, there's no rights fees for these things. It's more, I mean, what we can't do is absolutely everything. You know, we've only, we've only got five live in Sports Extra. It's not possible to cover every single British and World Championship. So we do need to go away and kind of put a strategy to what we want to cover. But I do, I mean, obviously we do have the privilege of airtime on Five Live, where 25% of the output is sport, and we've got live opportunity, live sports opportunity on Sports Extra. The, I mean, the onus is on is on us to lead the way and perhaps to set the agenda a little bit more than has ever been done before. Because I think I get a sense that perhaps print journalism will come with us on it this time. I kind of feel that, you know, we won't be on our own if we're doing sort of Taekwondo World Championships next year. There will be, because we've introduced people to characters in these sports, there will be that demand and desire, I think, that, that we haven't seen before.
2: It's only two weeks out of a quarter, but you must be anticipating a a, a bumper radio figure next time round. Record well, ho- audiences.
3: Well, hopefully. I mean, obviously the TV audience figures were so huge that I don't, you know, I don't know what that will do to radio f- radio figures across the radio industry as a whole during this period. Our online listening stats, even though they were up against all of that TV offer online, they were they were double what they normally are at minimum across the whole piece. So that would give an indication that that yes, we'll have done pretty well. Lots of anecdotal evidence that people have tried us out. People have come into us for a couple of weeks who otherwise wouldn't have done and have, and have enjoyed what they've heard so yeah hopefully we'll, we'll see the benefit of that and, and in terms of our sort of audience appreciation uh, figures um, they've been the highest they've ever been in, in the history of Five Live so that again uh, is what it's all about really it's it's about w- how the audience respond to it that's what all the planning and effort is for.
2: And just finally Jonathan you're, you're sharing the FA Cup rights with TalkSport in, in the coming season is that a sign of things to come for Five Live for your exclusive deals and, and more sharing with commercial workers. I
3: think we're very happy we're very happy really I think it's about good it's good choice for the audience it means we've got so much live football that it's great you know we've got 128 Premier League games on all, on all of that England and FA Cup it it certainly wasn't a huge deal for us to have it exclusively I think it's good for the audience I think it's good for the industry I hope as, as as they tend to do that people will still choose us as their number one place to go for their football commentary but yeah it's um we're perfectly we're delighted that we've still got England games and FA Cup football.
2: Okay, Jonathan. Thanks very much. Josh, you're a big fan of Five Live during the Olympics, and the pressure is on the station to show, uh, to broadcast more non-mainstream sport, as we we have to call it. But would you tune in outside of the games? Uh, you know, it doesn't really have that momentum, that popularity when it's sort of run-of-the-mill stuff, as opposed to London 2012.
0: I think what Five Live really needs to do now is capture this momentum that it built up during the Olympics, and make sure that it doesn't just drop off a cliff because it has built up an extraordinary sense. of of confidence, Listen to it every morning as I did during the Olympics. The way it got across the Olympic spirit as well as the storytelling of the people behind these games that you wouldn't necessarily listen to all year round uh, was fantastic. It was the best place that I listened to the Olympics or watched the Olympics across any medium. The challenge for the station now is that it doesn't let that momentum drop that it, that it uses its fantastic range of commentators and pundits Nicky Campbell Rachel Burden, Peter Allen and brings them into the, these new minority sports and, and really brings to life those games for its listenership Paul how much do you expect Five Live to change realistically? Well, I think
4: I agree that they had a very good Olympics. I mean, I didn't listen as much as you did, Josh, but I think you know there were moments when I wasn't near a TV and Five Live was the choice and I was able to hear things I wouldn't otherwise have seen or heard because I'd have missed them. So Five Live will have had a great Olympics and it will give a boost to quarter three, which normally is a low quarter for Radio Five Live historically. In terms of the future, I I agree. I think I do hope they actually, as a result of this, keep that momentum going and there are non-mainstream sports that can now maybe feature regularly on 5 Live that didn't before there is obviously an airtime restriction but you know when you've got two channels two 24 hour day channels there is plenty of room I think it's important that the BBC Trust points are made too and that is that great the the Olympics has actually caused 5 Live to rethink Uh, I think 5 Live needs to do that anyway regardless of the Olympics it should be continually thinking about how it can lead and that's its purpose as a public service broadcaster it doesn't need to have the Olympics or indeed print to follow it it should be doing this anyway because it's public service and it should always be looking at new things it can do i'm sure it will continue to grow but it needs to make sure it does that
2: well also on radio this week it turns out that chris moyles won't be the only thing missing from the radio on breakfast show when nick grimshaw takes over next month they're also dumping the radio on breakfast jingles prompting a groundswell of nostalgia on twitter
4: paul what did you make of the move how, how important are, are jingles these days I think this is just all part of uh, Ben Cooper, the controller, saying, look, I'm changing Radio 1. You know, he, he's got to get Radio 1 younger. Radio 1 is, you know, the average age is too old. He's got to make a dramatic shift and get it younger. And this is all part of that. And it's partly an emblem. It's partly a way of saying, I'm doing something significant. The reality is there's no evidence to suggest that younger listeners don't like sung jingles and older listeners do like sung jingles. What matters is, are the jingles relevant to the target audience? This is going to make it sound different from Wales, which is a good thing. Hopefully it will encourage people to come into Radio 1 who wouldn't otherwise, because obviously whilst um, he won't worry too much about the audience figures going down, it's inevitable that Nick Grimshaw is going to have a lower audience than Moyles initially, I would say. What he has got to do is bring in more of the target audience. So this is a way of bringing in more young people, thinking they'll retry Radio 1. It's a smart move.
2: And, well, I, I, I listen to Radio 2, and uh, the jingles,
4: uh, it's, uh, well...
0: It goes with the buster, doesn't it? it <laughs> <laughs>
4: Listening to Radio 2 goes with buster, well, <laughs> really. I, I, I,
0: we're getting a picture now, You're John. are learning far too much about John Plunkett on we the show. We are indeed, yes. Well, so I... much disclosure. Let
2: me rephrase that. I occasionally listen to Radio 2, and it does strike me that the only thing that roots it in its past are the
4: jingles. Everything else has kind of moved on and become much younger, you know, and you get yeah. this sort of Although great... well, the new jingles on Radio 2 are really good. If you've heard those, they're really good. One little complaint, though, Chris Evans doesn't know how to use the jingle up to the news. They've got this brilliant jingle up to the news, and he screws it up every morning. I can't believe it. Whereas Ken Bruce, the old boy, does it magnificently.
2: They still have an important role, don't they? Because they tell you which station you're listening to. But in the in the digital era, as we listen to now, it as helps we in, our figures. it figures. It, it really does. Well, let's take a moment's silence, interrupted only by a jingle or two, to fondly remember those analog days.
3: The voice of Radio One, just
5: for fun. Music too much.
2: In other media news, it was the magazine ABCs this week. After my chart rundown of the Rage a couple of weeks ago, I was tempted to do similar with the ABCs, but couldn't find anything by magazine that was appropriate. Uh, They're a punk band, apparently. Uh, Anyway, it uh, it looked like uh, many of the mags were in the red and not many in the black. Josh, tell us about the men's market.
0: Uh, It was another bloodbath in the men's market, um, Loaded, which under its new colourful ownership pulled out of the Audit Borough of Circulations uh, for the first time, last time it reported it was around 35,000 sales a month Uh, you can only think that that's decreased markedly and elsewhere in the market it was a terrible six months for Zoo, for Nuts and for FHM one only wonders how long these magazines can survive if they're losing fifth of their uh, readership every single half year. Paul, uh, good news was hard to find in the magazine ABCs this week.
4: It was. I mean, apart from Empire magazine, which seemed to be doing OK and was sort of flat, Q was the worst performer in the music sector, down 16.7%, and Enemy down nearly 20%. And it's interesting because I, I also looked at the Radar figures for those two radio brands, and they're also declining uh, badly. So it just looks like somehow Enemy and Q just don't mean anything anymore to, to people in terms of music. Brands And I looked at the website, in fact, and and the Q website was Green Day and Noel Gallagher, and that was it. I mean, it's just like Dullsville. you know, who cares? Q magazine recently had a new editor
2: in um, Andrew Harrison, who came from uh, Word magazine, or the Word magazine, which uh, is sadly no longer with us. So
4: maybe they'll pick up a few readers there, Paul. Possibly, yeah. I mean, I think so. But I think the fundamental question is structurally, have these got a a future, as Josh was saying? And, you know, it's hard to see how a print publication like this is going to actually pay for itself in the future. I mean, the future is online. It has
0: to be. Chrissy Murison, uh, the one-time editor of the Enemy, who left uh, recently, was rumored to be planning to take Enemy free so it could compete with the Fly. Uh, She's denied ever doing that, but it was rumored widespread throughout the industry and. Uh, it would really make sense. Enemy has got to do something. It can't stand still. It can't keep shedding a fifth of its readership every half year. It needs to be bold. It needs to do make some sort of time-out manoeuvre and give some copies away for free. It needs to reinvigorate its brand. Relaunches just don't do the trick anymore. It needs a wholesale regeneration, I think. Looking for
2: good news stories on the ABCs, you, you come across uh, Mike souter two free magazines, uh, Shortlist and uh, Stylist, and also I noticed the Odium uh, Magazine Empire which may be something uh, you don't necessarily aspire to. Also, you know, stayed stay flat, so did relatively okay. Uh, but also, um, another good news story, Paul, Private Eye, which was... Uh Best performing in the news magazine market, up nearly 10% over the year.
4: Yeah, brilliant. I mean, you know, this just says to me that fantastic journalism and writing that you can't get anywhere else really drives. I mean, where else do you get Private Eye? I mean, you only can get it by buying the magazine. So, you know, it forces you to go and buy it. It's, it's still at the top of its game. It's a great read. You know, the trouble with everything else is they're commoditized now. You can get everything the other magazines offer elsewhere. And so why would you buy a physical piece of paper? You won't. And Private Eye, interestingly, has a very minimal online presence. It does indeed. That's the whole point. It's only available. You know, it's a bit like, it's a bit like um, the soccer on, on Five Live. You know, If it's not available anywhere else because you can't be near a TV, you tolerate medium wave.
2: Well, what we need is an X Factor magazine. But unfortunately, that closed at the end of 2010. But the good news is the X Factor is back. Paul, you like a Saturday night uh, a
4: talent show? Oh, I, I love all those highbrow Saturday night talent shows. Exactly. Um, how excited are you? Well, you know, I, I can't believe it's nine years. I mean, that makes me feel really old because that means Pop Idol was, you know, more than nine years ago and uh, Will Young and Gareth was more than nine years ago. It's now, Will old. Will, Will old, feeling very old. I do like X Factor. I mean, I am going to miss Simon Cowell. I, I do think it's a shame Simon Cowell's not going to be there. Good to see that Louis Walsh is there. I guess he'll get fired again mid-season, but that's fine. We get used to that. Um Talisa is back uh, Gary Barlow is back and Gary Barlow's equity is higher now than ever I think probably so that's probably not a bad move so yeah I'm quite, I'm quite excited but I must say I was rooting for X Factor when it was the X Factor versus The Voice and I stuck lowly I, I st- to X Factor despite The Voice I couldn't stand The Voice so I'll be watching X Factor on Saturday night
0: Josh you more of a voice man? No, I actually thought The Voice served in X-Factor's benefit in that The Voice looked really worthy and dull in comparison with with X-Factor and Britain's Got Talent, which are all about the entertainment, shameless entertainment as well it is. I mean, it keeps you captivated for sometimes up to two hours on a Saturday night and everyone watches it, it's all over Twitter. And in comparison to The Voice, you know, The Voice was just, it was just there and it wasn't really doing anything to inspire you know, laughter or entertainment on a Saturday night. It wasn't a Saturday night kind of programme, I don't think.
4: And it's weird because in the States, if you've seen the American version, the voice in the States is huge and there's so much more energy in that version. You know, somehow the British version was a bit limp. And once they got over the initial round, I mean, there was just no interest, was there? You know, once the turning chairs uh, sort of gimmick was over, there was nothing there, was there?
2: Uh, well, I've seen the first episode of The X Factor, but I'm only allowed to tell you about it if you're listening to this after midnight on Saturday. They've really turned the reality aspect of it up to up to 11. And good old uh, Barry Garlow, I think uh, after a difficult first season, I think he's kind of settled into his uh, settled into the new role. And uh, Scary Spice, uh, I think, may be an unlikely star, but she's only a temporary judge. Oh, OK. Maybe they might wish well, she was full Well, you're very full-timer. privileged. We
4: look forward to watching oh. it on Saturday.
2: Indeed. Well, we end this week with our Rapid Fire Media Monkey Quiz, which proved so popular last week. We're bringing it back. Uh, thank you to the listener who got in touch. Uh, <laughs> Uh, okay, first question. Fingers on your buzzers. He might have won two gold medals, but what TV accolade did Team GB's Mo Farah also run away with this year? The, uh, the Cube. The Cube. Beat well, the yeah, Cube. Indeed. Uh, so first blood to Robinson. He became the first person to beat the Cube on ITV1. Uh, and apparently the uh, broadcast is planning to re-show the episode. It's, it's been, been re-shown
4: yet. already, actually. Has it been re-shown it's already? It's been re-shown, yeah. And I watched it, and he was just so cool. I mean, he was so mm. relaxed and so gracious about the whole thing. You know, I love him even more now having seen him do that.
2: Who said ITV didn't have any Olympics programming? Okay, pressure on uh, Halliday here. Question number two. Which blog gave up the ghost despite scoring A-star grades all around? Radio. No one likes Radio Silence. It was, in fact, Sexy A-Levels, um, the blog which... Um, <laughs> had no end of fun pointing out uh, which newspapers illustrate their A-level exam results uh, with stories of uh, attractive young women. And this is because boys have done better this time than girls at A-stars, is it? But I think it's just because they kept showing uh, pictures of uh, attractive young women, so they sort of gave up the ghost. Oh, right.
0: But it's still on Twitter.
2: Okay. Uh, so, question number three. Which gossip magazine popped the wrong question this week?
0: Was it the One Direction magazine in the US, or am I completely getting the wrong end of the stick? Uh, completely wrong end of the stick. That's
2: another very complicated <laughs> story involving Caroline Flack and uh, a very... Um, Unfortunate uh, voodoo doll in very poor taste. The correct answer was Grazia, uh, right. which uh, had front cover breaking news that said Jennifer Aniston was on the verge of splitting up with Justin Theroux, who uh, you two won't need reminding us. Uh, is now her fiancé, after it turns out on the very same day Grazia came out, the pair announced they were getting engaged. So, the scores this week uh, Robinson 1, Halliday 0. Uh, this quiz is so successful, a TV spin off can only be years away. My thanks to Paul Robinson, Josh Halliday, Moz D, and Jonathan Wall. We should also mention that next week there will be not one, but three editions of Media Talk, coming to you each day from the Media Guardian Edinburgh International Television Festival in uh, Edinburgh. So that's Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Your comments most welcome on our Facebook wall or our blog, or on Twitter at John Plunkett 149. Media Talk is produced by Matt
1: Hill. Thanks for listening. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio. Don't you Brits feel like celebrating those 14 days of sporting glory? Of course you do. So why not do it with a strictly unofficial but suitably stylish philosophy football design t-shirt? This unique t-shirt is a wearable, chronological and colour-coded record of an unforgettable fortnight. And for Guardian and Observer podcast fans, we have a special offer of three pounds off and free post and packaging. Curious? Well, to see how good this unique T-shirt looks and to take advantage of our listeners' offer, just go to guardian.co.uk slash podcast offers. I dare you.